Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the EPL Roundtable. I'll be your host today. My name is Seifu, normally editor of the EPL Roundtable when Kevin doesn't have laryngitis. Uh, if you'd like to reach us, uh, you can on Twitter at EPL Roundtable. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JimNot88. Hi, I'm Sean Whetstone. Um, I'm the West Ham representative for the EPL Roundtable. Um, I blog a lot. I podcast a lot. Uh, I, I talk to papers and TV and radio a lot about all about West Ham things, which I'll, I'll talk about and plug later at the end of this podcast. All right. Thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, we're going to start off with making the rounds where everyone will have a few minutes to discuss what's happening at their clubs this week. Jim? It's been a bit of a disappointing couple of weeks since I came on, actually, last. Um, this week in particular was uh, a big game for Leicester because after a really tough run of fixtures, we had what looked like an extremely winnable game against Bournemouth at home. Um, I know they haven't been you know, awful recently and they've kind of picked up a, a good run of form before their defeat last in their last game, but... We um, we really kind of identified this as a, a winnable game, especially with the um, the kind of ambition shifting quite a lot from the forty point mark, kind of looking upwards and seeing where we could finish. Um, with a lot of teams seemingly just kind of throwing away opportunities to lay down a title challenge. So yeah, the the first half was really really sluggish. We arguably should have been one, if not two goals behind. Um, Jamie Vardy did miss a really good opportunity. Uh, which came from a lot of good work, kind of pressing the, the back four. Um, missed a good chance one-on-one with Artur Boric, hit it and uh, it hit the inside of the post and rolled all the way across and went out again. So that was disappointing, but it's just the kind of chance that he would have put away about three weeks ago when he was on his hot streak. And now um, he's not looking too great. He's actually going to be sitting out the next couple of games um, due to some minor surgery that he's got to have because he's been playing with an injury. For a few weeks now. Um, so now that we've got this period where we've got Spurs in the Cup um, next week and then Spurs again in the league uh, midweek after that. So I think he's going to take a couple of weeks off to, to miss those games now and uh, to kind of recover from his minor surgery that he needs. I don't think it'll keep him out any more than that. But back to the game uh, on Saturday, as I say, Bournemouth missed two really, really good chances. Joshua King in, in particular missed a header, I think, from about four yards out. Um, and our defending was really, really sloppy. We came out second half, changed it at half-time, brought off Leonardo Ujoa because we'd started as a 4-4-2 um, and went more into like a 4-3-3. Bought Nathan Dyer on, who um, has sat out a lot of the season after coming on and making a, a big impact against Aston Villa in that comeback win earlier on in the season. Um, we put him out on the wing and played Vardy and Mahrez kind of through the middle and pushed Albrighton up, uh, up alongside them at times as well. 
Um, we created a lot more chances and to be honest, we kind of dominated the second half mostly because of the fact that about 50, 60 minutes in, um, we, we got a penalty and uh, Bournemouth had a man sent off. They had uh, Francis sent off um, when he brought down Vardy in the area. But what looked from my angle, which was head on like a clear penalty, but actually on the replay, I think it's a good tackle and he wins the ball. So whether or not that will be rescinded or not, I don't know. But he certainly got a good case to have that overturned because um, I don't think it was a fantastic decision in hindsight. Morris steps up, obviously very reliable from the spot. Normally only missed one spot kick this year. Uh, and that was against Hull in the Cup in a sh- penalty shootout. Um, put it at a good height for Arta Boric, and he kind of dived to his left and pushed it away. We dominated the game from then on, as you'd expect, against 10 men, but we were just unable to actually um, find the finishing touch. We missed a couple of quite good chances um, as the second half wore on. I think we probably had good claims for a second penalty on Vardy with about five minutes to go, but when you get one penalty like that, I don't think you're going to get another one, um, particularly when the opposition are down to 10 men. So... All in all, a bit of a disappointing week, really. I think it was a very, very winnable game. Obviously, we're now at 40 points, which at this time of the season for us is absolutely incredible. And, you know, I don't want to put too much of a downer on it because the season as a whole, you've got to look at these things in context. And we've done absolutely brilliant. Um, To be sitting where we are going into the second half of the campaign is just kind of unbelievable. Claudio Ranieri said after the game, um, he's refused to obviously comment on what he would like from the season until we'd reach that 40-point mark. It turns out he now wants 79 points. Um, so I think where everyone thought he was going to set kind of a realistic goal, um, he now essentially wants Champions League football from this campaign, which you know a lot of people have been talking about. But you know, for a manager to come out and say in the immediate aftermath of a game where you've not won um, against a team everyone expects to be struggling at the wrong end of the table is a big, big statement. So how that's going to affect the team and the pressure and the dynamic and things, I don't know. It's good that we're aiming high, I guess. I'm just not sure. Whether or not isn't it uh, that much of a wise decision to come out and lay down that marker at this point when you've got teams like Tottenham, um, Liverpool, you know, doing okay but not brilliantly, uh, but expected to be up there or thereabouts at some point. Uh, Palace and you know teams that you don't necessarily look at the top four at the beginning of the season and say, oh yeah, they're going to be there. Obviously, Manchester United got back to winning ways. Did Arsenal and Man City this weekend? So it's it's getting extremely tight at the top. Don't now. forget West Ham, Jim. Of course, West Ham as well, Sean. How could I ever forget West Ham, uh, particularly when you're on the podcast? But yeah, um, it was it, it was weird timing to come out and say that. I guess he's been asked the question every week, um, so he had to give an answer at some point. I just I would have expected a slightly more nuanced manager from a manager from an answer, sorry, from a manager who you know has now put quite a big millstone around the, the team's neck, kind of saying 79 points because. Essentially, anything below that now is going to be deemed as a bit of a failure, which could be, you know, very, very unfair if we were to get seventy odd points and finish in the Europa League places. Which I think the majority of the fan base would have been absolutely ecstatic. I think he probably could have said European football and not necessarily specified, um, and kind of given himself that bit of a an outshot to to kind of borrow a a term from another sporting uh, cliche. But you know, he could have given himself that that outshot opportunity to say you know European football would be great not necessarily specify which competition and then if we finish sixth then that's absolutely brilliant whereas now everyone's going to be expecting us I think to, to be challenging at the top end which we're very capable of it's you know it's just a long season and we've got a relatively small squad so how do you think um, that uh how do you think that response um <coughs> affects your players mentality um I don't think it changes a huge amount to be honest we've we, I think we'll keep up the intensity and, the, you know, obviously, unlike a lot of teams, um, West Ham apart, I guess, and Palace, um, we don't have European football this season. So, you know, teams like Tottenham, Liverpool, 
Uh, Manchester United now as well, teams that we could well be in contention for the top four with, haven't got, um, you know, just the, the domestic competition to focus on there, but European ambitions of their own. So that does give us a slight advantage. I'd fully expect us to make 11 changes um, in the cup game against Spurs as well. I'm not sure we're too bothered about that this year. I think now that the focus is definitely on the league um, and it was that way in the League Cup as well, even before we'd got ourselves into this position. Um, it's it's difficult. You know, the team is a very close-knit unit. So, you know, maybe he's talked to them about it and they've said, yeah, maybe we believe we can get top four. We haven't heard from any of the players about that yet. So it's not as if that's necessarily going to come as a massive surprise to them. I just thought that it was a bit... Um, his, considering he'd been you know, downplaying expectations for the vast majority of the season to then put a very, very high points mark. Bearing in mind, we're now 20 games in and we've got 40 points to kind of replicate that form again, essentially, um, and pick up another 39 in the remaining 18 games is, is definitely a big call. Um, I like his ambition. I just hope that it doesn't kind of adversely affect um, the expectations around the club and particularly, you know, some of the more demanded fans now could use that as a bit of a stick to beat him with, which would be a shame because we've had a fantastic campaign so far. Yeah. All right, Sean, you had a pretty fantastic weekend. Yeah, I haven't been on for a while, so you're going to have to indulge me as well. Um, and, and as there's only three of us tonight, maybe we can <laughs> talk about it. Um, so, well, you know, it's all started off for the Hammers really well at the beginning of the season. You know, we were briefly second in Champions League place and we, we were in top four spot for most, you know, a lot of the, the early part of the season up till sort of game 10 or 12. Um but then the injury curse hit us, um, and until recently, we went seven games without um, a win. Um, that said, we've only lost four games all season, um, but we, we had um, three nil-nil ball draws on a trot before we played Southampton, and, and you know we'd lost all our creativity through, through being jinxed. This always happens with us. We'd lost... Uh, Dimitri Payet, we'd lost um, Victor Moses, we'd lost Manuel Lanzini, we'd lost Diafra Sacco, <clears throat> you know, all the people, and, and Andy Carroll, we'd lost all of our creative playmakers. Uh, we, you know, we've been you know, having a lot of clean sheets and defensive, which is why we've only lost four games all season, but it really wasn't happening with us. You know, the goals dried up. Um, but that all changed. Um, just after Christmas uh, with with our game against Southampton. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we suddenly got back to our winning ways. And, uh, you know, I think we'd, the stat is we'd, it'd been a, like over a year, well over a year. If we went 1-0 down, uh, we just didn't come back. That, that was, you know, the West Ham way of recent time. You know, we didn't come back if, if we conceded the first goal. So it was really great, uh, you know, at Southampton to have such a poor uh, first half. I mean, one of the worst performances I've ever seen. And then on the second half to just change it. Never is there a, a better cliche of it's a game of two halves uh, because the inspired, well, maybe not inspired because they were fit to come back, um, you know, Lanzini and uh, Andy Carroll coming on uh, was, was just changed the game completely. You know, Andy Carroll's got his critics, etc. Um, but obviously, we got our first goal through a uh, a rough and tumble, and I think it came off his head, shoulder, whatever, from from uh, uh, the Nottingham Forest winger, um, Macau um, Antonio, 
for his first goal and his first start. And then uh, Andy Carroll got got the second goal to to wrap up the points. And uh, you know, as only Andy Carroll does. And it was it was it was great to get that win under our belt because you know we were starting to worry. Uh, now fast forward, you know, to to Liverpool. Um, we know Liverpool's been having a tough time. Um, I did a, a Q and A with um, a Liverpool fan site called Empire of the Cop. And I dared to ask a question, you know, will Klopp uh, survive the season? And they ridiculed me saying, is this a joke? Is this a joke? You know, he hasn't brought anyone in and everything. But, you know, I know what Liverpool fans are like. You know, they are really impatient. Everybody's impatient. Look at Manchester United with uh, Louis van Dole. Um, You know, we if you're in the top, if you're a top six club, you expect results. You won't be given too much time to turn it around. Now, you know, earlier in the week it came out, David Sullivan did a um, an interview with, with Sky Sports and he said, you know, we're only two hours away from appointing uh, Rafa Benitez, who, who went to Real Madrid. He also went on to say, you know, we offered Klopp and uh, he turned us down because he said he needed a break from football. Klopp was asked that in his pre-match um, presser and said, yeah, yeah. You know, he said um, West Ham are a good club, but it wasn't the right time, etc. Um, but, you know, he was one unhappy manager. He was shouting. He was remonstrating with his players. He had a go at Bilic at one point, who held his own, I must say, and they were having a bit of a, a to-do on the touchline. Uh, but, you know... Let's go back to the first. I'm, I'm, I'm giving me my glory. We hadn't won for 52 years at uh, Anfield. So 1962, uh, no, 1963 was the last time we'd won at Anfield. Um, and we obviously won in August 3 0 at uh, Anfield. And what an away win that was. So we really wanted to do the double again. We'd only done the double twice before in 87 years of playing them. So, you know, I forget when the first time we did it was, probably 1912 or whatever. Um, and we'd done it, um, obviously, in 1963-64, we did the league double on them. So we really wanted the league double. But, um, you know, everybody was writing off. Paul Merson said a draw. I think Mark Lawrenson said we'd lose 2-0. Um, and it was quite good because bookies were giving odds of 3-1. to one. In fact... Uh, one of my fellow season ticket holders, as I was walking down, I said, oh, yeah, you can get three to one for the West Ham win. And I said, if you get three to one with Andy Carroll to score, it's eight to one. Uh, and he got his mobile phone out and put a fiver on uh, a West Ham win with Andy Carroll to win. Eight to one. Thank you very much. 45 quid back. But, um, you know, when when we went to the game yesterday, we still expected a tough old time. Liverpool have still got a lot of good players. You know, Benteke, um, you'd expect them to stand up and give a really good show of it. But they didn't. They didn't really. They didn't really test Adrian. Um, our defence was solid. You know, man of the match, James Collins, Ginger Palais was immense, as was uh, James uh, Tompkins, who who continues, the centre-back, who continues to play right-back and keeps Carl Jenkinson out, who we paid a £1.5 million loan fee we're paying him 40, uh, 
five grand a week and he gets 30 grand appearance money or, or, or Arsenal does every time he plays. And uh, he's on the bench. He can't get him in the squad. Um, but it was good to have uh, Andy Carroll starting. It was good to have uh, Mikel Antonio starting, a seven million signing from uh, Nottingham Forest. He looks like he's going to keep uh, Chelsea's uh, Victor Moses out. I can't see Victor Moses, even though he's going to be fit next week, coming back into the team. And, of course, we, we got Payet back. And, and you'd never hear such a welcome back. He was just running up and down the, the sidelines. Uh, and we were singing our song, We've Got Payet. And, and, and he was getting more attention than, than the people on the pitch. Never has there been so much expectation uh, for, for one player. Um, but, you know, Mikel Antonio, who, who missed sort of didn't know too much about his first debut goal against Southampton the week before, certainly knew about this one. He got the first goal in with a rising header. Uh, we know Liverpool can't defend this season and certainly can't defend against set pieces. Um, and, of course, Andy Carroll to crown it off um, to to get the second with, again, a rising header against his former club who dissed him. Uh, he's still their record signing, by the way. Uh, so he scores against them. Uh, and do you know what? He missed another one, which was a really good save by Mignolet. Uh, it could have been four or five nil. I'm sure you watched the game. Uh, and it was very satisfying to do the double. A really good game, you know. We had back, fine. We we played, we passed the ball. Yeah, we bunged it up a little bit. I, I thought, you know, our skipper, Mark Noble, played a, a, a really good game. Lanzini played a really good game. It's unfortunate he's injured and, and we're hoping it's not going to be too long. Our chairman said up to... Four to six weeks, but I understand it will be a lot less than that. Uh, and with all our players coming back, the future looks bright. You know, we we went briefly up to fifth place. Uh, we were displaced by um, Manchester United um, into sixth place. Uh, obviously, Crystal Palace lost today, so we 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 retain that sixth place. But, you know, there's no reason, like Jim said earlier, we can't push on. You know, we've got. 32 points. Some people still joke we're eight points away from safety. But, you know, I'd like us to push on. West Ham fans believe, and I think the ball believes, we can get top six with a bit of luck. You know, we have to have a bit of luck. Not many more injuries. And some games have got our way. But top six, as an outside chance, is achievable. Top eight, I, you know, should be our aim. You know, we should be aiming for eighth or seventh. Uh, if we could get sixth or fifth, then it will be a tremendous first season for the Croatian uh, in his first season as a manager. And yeah, a very happy hammer at the moment. We play uh, Bournemouth uh, next Well, We've got Wolves, obviously, in the FA Cup, which is a sellout. Then we play Bournemouth uh, um, next. Um, I forget what we have. I think we've got Newcastle as well. So, you know... We are we are looking forward to uh, climbing a few points at that table and, and joining our friends Leicester uh, level on points sooner mm-hmm. or later. Yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, Slavin Bilic. Um, he's you know he's been at your club now for about six months. How have you felt yeah. about his appointment? Well, do you know what when when they aimed big and you you heard the name Rafa Benitez and uh, Jurgen Klopp and everything they're aiming really big and you think yeah yeah that's really good. But you know what? <clears throat> With hindsight, I think Slavin Bilic was the right person because 
with a big manager and a big ego comes big expectations of the board to spend the money. You know, their ego can too, be too big and they fall out with the board. And that's exactly what happened with Sam Allardyce. You know, Sam Allardyce's ego just got too big for the board and David Sullivan and him just fell out all the time over transfers. So Slavin is still a big name. He's a big manager with big experience. But you know what? For one, for once, for a long time, the fans absolutely adore him. The players adore him. The ball trust him. And we've got a nirvana of being the right level of manager for this part, you know, our evolution onto the Olympic Stadium. Um, you know, are we going to win the league? No. Uh, could we qualify for Europe? Absolutely. Um, we could qualify for Europe in our own right. And um, I think, you know, we, we, we need to push on. And I hope we stick with Slavin for a few years and we don't just go on what a lot of the other clubs and just go on a merry-go-round by changing it out. But our ball don't do that. Our ball tend to stick with managers. Um, and, you know, they won't be looking to change whatever happens. They will be looking to keep him and build him over a number of years. Um, unless the only reason they would get rid of him if he lost the dressing room um, or he got us relegated. I understand there is a, a clause if we get relegated, they, they could depart with him uh, straight away as well. But I think, you know, the R word is not even mentioned in West Ham circles anymore. Um, we're looking beyond that. And, you know, we finished 12th last season. Uh, we're looking you know, certainly top half of the table. Um, and I'm certainly looking eighth, eighth and upwards from from Salavan. And that's how we'd be measured by the end of the season. You know, it's nice that we've beat, and I'm going to say it now, Man City. And it's nice that we've beat Arsenal and we've beat Chelsea and Liverpool twice. Um, you know, we, we've taken all the big teams on and beat them. But that means nothing. It's all about what place you finish at the end of the season. Your bragging rights are one thing. At the end of the day, it's what you've achieved at the end of the season. And we're only halfway through. You know, he's done really well. We're in sixth place at the halfway point. But, you know, <clears throat> we've got another 18 games to go. We've got to make everyone count and get as many points on the board as possible. Uh, it's funny. A lot of the things that you've said about Bilic and about how your club are treating him, uh, it's kind of how I feel about Tottenham at the moment. Um, you know, Poch has came in about 18 months ago, um, really instilled his philosophy at the club. Um, and you kind of saw it today uh, in today's match uh, against, uh, against Everton. Uh, we were away. Uh, we managed to get a 1-1 uh, draw, which I think was a little harsh based off of the way we played in the first half. Um, you know, we looked like a, a team in control. Um, we played our brand of football. Our passing was really incisive. We got, I think, unlucky twice. Um, Kane had a fantastic shot that hit the inside of the post and ricocheted out. And Davies did a similar thing with the underside of the crossbar. If those were just a little bit more on target, um, we probably could have come away with a pretty comfortable lead. But instead, uh, Aaron Lennon decided to be uncharacteristically uh, good and have just a wonder goal. Uh, there was nothing Hugo Lloris could have done to, to, uh, to save that. 
Um, fortunately, we were able to uh, bring it back even with uh, Della Ali. Uh, Toby Alderweireld, I think, has been our signing of the season, and with uh, Della Ali just right behind him. And you saw it today. Um, Toby Alderweireld came in, um, took the ball just past the midway line, and uh, gave a fantastic cross to Del Ali, who managed uh, a really, really nice goal. Uh, unfortunately, that was uh, the last of the goals for the match, and I think the second half uh, we started to slow down. Um, I think if there was a, any criticism for Pochettino, it would be that he doesn't handle tactical substitutions very well. Um, Everton put on Besic, and he really changed the face of the game. Um, and we, we kind of lost control. Uh, I think the first half of this game was probably some of the best football that we've played. I don't think I've heard um, the commentators for our matches give us so much praise. Uh, and considering that we only had one goal, it was actually really surprising and kind of nice to hear positive things about our club. Um, but at the end, we just couldn't come away with a, with a win. And it's, and it says a lot about the mentality of our club. You could see on social media and, uh, the way that we talked about the game afterwards that we weren't happy with the draw. Uh, nobody was happy with it, but it didn't feel like, um, lip service. It felt like they were genuinely gutted that they couldn't, um, couldn't rally and, and get a get a couple more points at Goodison Park. Um, okay, so now we're going to move on to the topic, which is uh, you know this is the our first back podcast of the new year. So we want to look back a little bit first and uh, ask you guys what your favorite club moment from 2015 was, and we'll start with Jim. Yeah. Um... I found it quite difficult to narrow it down to just one because obviously we turned quite a big corner um, at this, uh, well, kind of partway through 2015, um, coming away with kind of 22 points, I think it was, from my last nine games, which is just ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> one of my favourite ones, I think, um, from this year, obviously, and probably the one I'm going to have to go for because it's such historical significance is watching Jamie Vardy um, break the Premier League record for most consecutive games scored. Um, you know, a record that I think probably most people thought might not ever be broken because Van Nistelrooy had set such a high bar for everyone. And yet he kind of, particularly the story with Vardy and kind of where he's come from made it even more special. I think the fact that it wasn't a, a big name uh, necessarily at the beginning of the season, if someone like Rooney or Diego Costa or someone like that had come out this season. Players that you expect to do well and that are previously, you know, Rooney obviously has been on the decline a little bit, but he's still, you know, the second highest goal scorer in the Premier League history, I think, after this weekend. So um, Vardy coming out and, and just, I know it's not one particular moment unless you carry it down to the last one, which was the Manchester United game, which was brilliant because I think a lot of people had, had used the fact that we hadn't played a lot of quote-unquote big teams um, during that run as kind of a, a reason to you know, discard that achievement almost, just saying, oh, you know, but look at who we scored against. Um, the goals had been against teams that 
a lot of people wouldn't necessarily say uh, uh, the most difficult to score against. But make no mistake about it, you know, scoring in 11 consecutive Premier League games against any team is is nothing short of incredible. So, yeah, I think probably my moment of the year was was watching him against Manchester United because the expectation and the buzz around the ground as well for that particular game was incredible. Not only was it a big kind of scalp for us to, to potentially take from Manchester United, um, I think you know there's a lot of people who were looking back to the last time we played them at home as well, which was um, like September, October time uh, of the previous year when we beat them 5-3. So I think a lot of people went into that game fully expecting us to get a positive result. Uh, and Vardy scoring the opening goal as well made it all the more special because I think, not that it would have spoiled it, but if it had been, say, a consolation goal in a, in a, a defeat, it wouldn't necessarily have had that sparkle. But because it was halfway through the first half and you know the, the whole crowd was... Just that's all we wanted was just for Vardy to put the ball in the back of the net, um, and it was a brilliant ball through by Fuchs um, on the counter attack, which just just typifies what we've done really all the way through the season. Um, just playing without the the ball the majority of the time, sitting back and letting teams have the majority of the possession, and then striking on the counter attack with that kind of deadly incision that we've we've come to be known for now. So yeah, definitely, I think watching Vardy break such a historic achievement. And, kind of reliving that story over and over again and seeing it being written about writing about it myself you know nothing gives me more pleasure than, than writing about Leicester in my day job I don't get to do it very often but when I do you know it, you know it's because we've done something extra special so yeah I think that would definitely have to be my moment of, of 2015. Great uh Sean? Again like Jim so many to choose from um I, I feel sorry for you, uh, Sefu, when you have to choose because it's going to have slim pickings. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, we started off with in, in Europe and, and we haven't been in Europe for a long time. I know we got there uh, a crafty way um, via the Fair Play League. But you know what? It was it was an interesting uh, little excursion. And in some ways, I think it, it got us ready for the season. Um, you know, we didn't get very far, but I enjoyed it. You know, being in Europe, we were still in Europe. We're in the early stages of Europa, uh, and we took on some unknown teams, and we got on, uh, on quite well in, until, unfortunately, uh, we didn't do enough of a job, and we had to put the kids out, and uh, we lost to a, a pretty much unknown team uh, called Astra. Um, or was it, was it Astra? Yeah, it was Astra. I can't even remember who they are now. Uh, but, of course, the the real work started um, at the beginning of the season uh, and we started away to uh, Arsenal, at the Emirates. Uh, as you probably know, if you know your Arsenal history, we were the last team to beat them at Highbury and we were the first team to beat them at the Emirates. And it's a song we sing often. Um, but we hadn't beat them for a long, long time at Emirates. Expectations weren't high. And in fact, if you took a bet, West Ham to win their first three away games was over 1,200 to 1, by the way. If someone wanted to put a tenner on that, 1,200 to 1 to beat Arsenal, uh, Liverpool, and uh, Man City. That's, that's what the odds were, because <laughs> what bookie would, would do them? But of course, we, we beat Arsenal 2 0. That was a tremendous start to the season. You know, Reese Oxford, a 16-year-old, played in that match. Uh, what an amazing experience for him. Uh, and, and, and that, that you know, our season was, was good already, you know, to, to, to achieve that already. Uh, 
I'm going to quickly brush over the, the Leicester and Bournemouth games at home. Uh, but, you know, we were, you know, everybody said, why did you lose to Leicester? But who knew at that point in that second game, first game at home, what Leicester were going to do and, and just proved, you know, even then they were ready for this run. And even Bournemouth, you know, in a 4-3 in thriller we lost, it showed, you know, before they got their injury problems, they were a force to be reckoned with. Well, let's fast forward to, to Anfield. We hadn't won there. It was a bogey team to play away. We haven't won there for 52 years. We won 3-0 at, at Anfield. Um, and, and that was, for West Ham fans, an amazing achievement. But he didn't end there. Uh, we went on then <clears throat> to beat Man City um, away as well. Um, a feat we'd never done in the Premier League. Um, uh, certainly not at the Etihad Stadium, uh, maybe at Main Road, but certainly we'd never beaten them in the league at the Etihad. Uh, you know, and, and it was a gift that kept on giving. Uh, we, we went on a few draws. But then, of course, uh, on October the 24th, we beat Chelsea 2-1 as well, our old London foes as well. That was a great win for us as well. Um, and, you know, we, we, we're brush over the Tottenham game. Uh, and, and we put a lot of draws together um, until, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we, we beat Southampton and, and beat Liverpool 2-0 to complete the double. But if I'm going to pick one moment, I'm going to go back to Anfield. To beat, Anfield, beat Liverpool at Anfield 3-0 uh, in the way we did uh, made Lovren look like a, you know, two-bob defender uh, and made a Liverpool team look very ordinary in their own backyard. Uh, that's going to be my moment. The 3-0 win at Anfield in August. Um, best moment so far. But, you know, hopefully we can surpass that in 2016. Who knows? He does notes for these podcasts? He does. I know. It's surprising. <laughs> we'll just... No, they're great. They're awesome. Uh, but yeah, his, so his favorite moment uh, is uh, the uh, two goals Harry Kane scored against Arsenal, which is actually, that was pretty awesome. Uh, I can't speak to that one too much. Um, but uh, for me, uh, I'm going to say that it was... Uh, us beating Chelsea 5-3, January 1st, 2015. Um, to me, that was sort of the start of um, this new Tottenham. Um, it didn't feel like a false dawn, and it was incredibly exciting. Um, and it was sort of this encapsulation of what Pochettino's brand of football was going to bring to the club. Um, it was a great uh, showcase for what Harry Kane was uh, going to be able to do um, as, you know, for his career. It wasn't something that was just going to be a one season thing. You know, he's going to have a great future ahead of him and it starts, well, it started last year. Um, and I, I, for me, that's definitely going to be it because everything after that, um, I think was built off of the confidence that they gained from that result. Um, losing to Chelsea in the Capital One Cup was harsh. Uh, and I think um, that was a tough pill to swallow, but I don't think we were as sad about it um, as we could have been because of that, of, you know, the result at the beginning of the year. Um, and we've kind of, we moved forward from there and I think we've become 
a much stronger club um, since then. You know, if if that same fixture, if that same situation happened this year, I don't think we would have let three goals in, which is a weird thing to be able to say about Tottenham. I'm starting to realize. Uh, all right, uh, from there. So we're going to um, now talk about uh, what you guys are looking forward to in 2016, what your expectations for the, for your club is, um, you know, realistic ones or, you know, what you guys are dreaming about. Uh, Jim? I think like dreaming and realistic expectations can kind of be aligned at Leicester now, because as I've said a few times when I've come on, avoiding relegation was just kind of aim number one for us um, because of the uncertainty over the change of manager. Um, and how the squad were going to react to that. Because it was really difficult to gauge. Leicester were a really difficult team to get a handle on coming into this season because we had a really good end of the season, well, a good third end of the previous campaign, which was preceded by a really, really bad two-thirds. Um, so no one was really sure what the squad was truly capable of over a long-term basis. And then you take out the one kind of constant in, in that whole campaign, which was the manager. Um, and obviously bringing in Claudio Ranieri, someone who hadn't worked in the Premier League for a decade um, and had just got Greece beaten twice by the Faroe Islands. Um, it's, it was kind of an uncertain uh, start to the season. But I think, you know, we're now looking towards the top end of the Premier League and it's absolutely unreal to say it. Like, I pinch myself every time I say it, but, you know, Europe is... A real, real possibility now, whether that be the Europa League or the Champions League. You know, obviously, you would love the Champions League. The Champions League is the dream, isn't it? Like being able to play Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, you know, teams like that is just unreal. But even the Europa League, for a club like us who've been away, um, you know, as Sean was saying about West Ham being away for so long, I think the fans would treasure it so much just to get into the Europa League. Um, and to be able to go away to, to, to clubs like that and follow Leicester around Europe because it's been a long, long time since we got into Europe. The last time we were in it, it was 2001, uh, back when it was the UEFA Cup and it was still um, a, a straight knockout competition. So we lost to Red Star Belgrade um, in a game that had to be moved uh, because of the trouble around that area at that time. I think it had to be played uh, in another country altogether. Um, so... It's been, you know, 20, well, 15 years or so since um, since we've been in Europe. So fans kind of my age, I guess, kind of mid-20s, don't actually remember or, or, or don't remember very well um, Leicester ever been in Europe and competing with the, the kind of second-tier European teams that you get in the Europa League. But So getting into something like that would be fantastic. Um, I don't necessarily think we'd struggle too much to cope with the extra workload, obviously, Thursday nights and Sundays aren't ideal. It does kind of mess up your season a lot, which a lot of teams have seen. Um, from a spectator point of view, it wouldn't be ideal, obviously, because you get games moved all the time. Uh, but it's a sacrifice you have to make to play European football, which would be fantastic. Um, we have got very, very wealthy owners who've shown that they're more than happy to put money into the team. So I don't worry too much about the squad depth. I think you're going to see in January, Leicester make hopefully a few moves for players to shore up the squad this year with the aim of being able to um, to take it into you know a real run, a real deep run into the into the end of this season trying to maintain that that spot in the top 4 
Um, it looks like, hopefully, uh, Touchwood, we're going to wrap up a deal for Damari Gray from Birmingham, who's like a 19-year-old winger. He scored against us in a pre-season friendly, actually, this year. Um, uh, who, who looks quite a tidy prospect. I don't think he'll be a first-team player. But, yeah, in terms of expectations, I think we're going to strengthen. Uh, you'll see that in the window. I don't think we're just going to sit on our hands and say uh, what we've got is enough because I think the way that we play and the lack of squad rotation um, means that there you know, is an extremely high workload on, on the nine or ten constants that are in the team. Um, if we do make changes, they're either enforced by niggling injuries, but we've been quite lucky with those this year. So it's more about changing the odd striker, either playing Okazaki or Fijawa, um up top with Vardy. Um, and the rest of the team kind of stays the same, to be honest. So those players must be running on empty now. Um, so hopefully we're going to strengthen in January and then kick on to a, a European um, finish, either the Europa League or the Champions League, um, which is just going to be unreal next year to think that we could be playing European football. Um, as I said before, I'm not going to be gutted if we finish ninth and we don't get into Europe. I think you know, you've got to look at the season in context and say, we had our, our heyday at the top. We did extremely well. We've beaten a lot of teams this year, you know, which have created some really, really magical moments for a lot of the fans. You know, that beating Chelsea, uh, which ultimately cost Jose Mourinho his job, was was fantastic. Uh, and we've still got a lot of big teams to play as well. So there's still a lot of big away days, especially this year, come. Um, so there's a lot to look forward to in 2016. But yeah, I think European football of some variety would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Sean, how do you see uh, West Ham performing next year? This year, I guess. Yeah, well, 2016, I guess there's two things. First, off the pitch, obviously, it's the, the year of our big move. Um, obviously, we'd be saying goodbye to the bowling ground that's been our home for 112 years. Uh, we play Swansea uh, for our last game, which is the, the last but one game of the season. That's going to be very sad. There's going to be a party there. Uh, the actual last game is going to be a Mark Noble testimonial, actually. Um, and I understand West Ham first team will be playing... Uh, a West Ham All-Stars, including people like Paolo Di Canio. They're going to ask Carlos Tevez. They're going to ask Eddie Sheringham. Uh, who knows? Maybe Frank Lampard, Rio Ferdinand, Joe Cole. Um, you know, there could be a whole host of ex-West Ham people because everybody loves uh, the East End boy, Canning Town boy, Mark Noble. But that will be the actual last game um, at the bowling ground before it gets knocked down and turned into flats. Um, but obviously 2016 is the, the time we move into our new um, stadium. If you're a London taxpayer, thank you very much for contributing to our new stadium. Uh, £272 million, uh, which we're paying £15 million towards and a £2 million rent. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, season ticket sales have been amazing. We've sold 36000 uh, season tickets so far. We've got 20,000 people waiting for season tickets, so we're going to sell the remaining. I think we've got a cap of 40,000. We've sold 3,400 3, corporate seats. Uh, obviously, we've got to save 3,000 seats for the away fans, and, and that's been marked out. And, uh, and, and Premier League rules says we must keep 5,000 for uh, general, uh, 5% for general sale as well. Uh, but, it, you know, I can guarantee you one thing, uh, and all the knockers saying, you know, West Ham will half fill the stadium. That stadium, for the first season at least, will be sold out every single game. All 54,000, uh, and we're already talking about upping it to 60,000, will be sold out every single game. What happens the season after that and the season after that, 
is down to the players and the club on, on how well we do on the pitch. But the enthusiasm, the novelty value for the first season will mean that every seat is sold in that first season. I've just been to Stratford to pick out my seat. I've got block 113, uh, row 19. So I'm going to be right next to the away fans in, in the south west corner of the lower tier of, of the Olympic Stadium. If you've been to Olympic Stadium, either for the athletics or the Rugby World Cup, etc., you'll know it's, it's an awe-inspiring place. And, you know, and this is our next step. And a lot of people are going, oh, yeah, but it's really intimidating at the, the bowling ground or Upton Park, as some people know it. But, you know, we change. You know, if we hadn't changed, we'd still be Thames Work, Ironworks, shipbuilding squad with a non-professional, and we'd still be playing in the Memorial Park before the bowling ground. And, you know, things move on. And 112 years later, we, we've taken an opportunity. We didn't want uh, the Olympic Stadium to be a, a white elephant. And I'm really looking forward to it. And a lot of fans are looking forward to it for West Hampton to take that next step. That said, on the pitch, I really fancy our chances for a cup run. I think with a fit Payet, with a fit Lanzini, with a fit Diafra Sacco, with uh, a fit Antonio now, and Moses, and Andy Carroll, we've got enough in our pencils to go on a cup run. And that all starts this Saturday against Wolves. Um, and as long as we can get through the early rounds against Wolves and whoever else it's going to bring after that, I do fancy a nice, I think this is the right team to go on a, on a cup run. Uh, and I do see us going all the way to Wembley and winning it. And our, our final wait since 1980, when we last beat Arsenal with a Trevor Brooking uh, header of winning the FA Cup, I, I, I see it. I see that, you know, that we're going to progress and, uh, and, and go forward for the FA Cup and, um, and, and do something we couldn't do against Liverpool at, at the Manelium Stadium, which broke my heart with, with Stevie Gerrard, that cross that came in just before the, you know, the injury time was about to start and it went to penalties, etc. That's etched on my mind. In my lifetime, you know, I want to see another FA Cup and, and, and this time we need to to win it and I, I've just got a funny feeling in my water that, that this is our year for the cup run. That said we're probably against Wolves on Saturday but that's that's my hope for 2016. Yeah so uh, for me um, 2016 is going to be interesting. Uh, a lot of people have been tapping us up for uh, top four which is uh, always uh, a touchy conversation with Tottenham fans, um, that would be great. Like in terms of dreams, that would be fantastic if at the end of the season uh, we're looking at a Champions League run. Um, that would be um, probably far and away more than anybody expected um, at the beginning of the season for sure. Uh, but uh, for me, I, I think a little bit more pragmatic, and it's I think just more about Next season, I want the club to feel stable. Uh, you know, this is, it's going to be Pochettino's third year for us. And all of the signs point to the whole club being behind him. Uh, you know, the, the academy uh, setting themselves up the way he wants things to be. Um, Levy um, supporting him financially. Um, 
not putting too much pressure on on the club for results um that to me will feel like we're a confident stable club um i would really like to come out of 2016 feeling that level of confidence about about tottenham to know that we're not going to sell harry kane come the uh, summer window that he's going to want to stay for for a couple years that hugo reese is going to be here you know if even if we don't get champions league I'd like to think that Hugo Lloris, um, his affinity for the club will uh, be more than um, any price that we'd be willing to pay for him. Um, if we can keep on to, to uh, keep on players like him, um, if Christian Eriksen stays, like just a really, really stable environment to nurture all of these young players, all of this young talent, and really build on top of this really solid foundation that uh, Pochettino has really built for us. Um, if we have that, then I'm fine if we just manage to miss out on, on Champions League this season uh, because I'll feel a lot more confident about where we are um, come 2016, uh, come the 2016 season. Um, all right. So with that, we are out of time for today. So if you have anything to plug, uh, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. I'm the uh, chief betting editor at Goal.com. So you can read a lot of my um, betting kind of previews and stuff over there and information about Leicester as well. I've been writing a few pieces recently about them due to the fact that we're we're doing really well. So there's an appetite for that kind of content at the moment. Um, apart from that, I'm on Twitter at Jim Knight 88. Hi, I'm Sean Whetstone. Um, I'm, I write for Clarent Hugh, uh, which is a West Ham news site uh, where I'm an associate editor. I also write for another site where I do the Q&A for the opposition uh, for West Ham Till I Die, which is another established West Ham site. I'm a podcaster and a presenter on more than just a podcast, and that's Bobby Moore as in Moore, M-O-O-R-E. But I did want to plug a few extra things. Last time I was here, I was plugging Arsenal News Service, which is from the same stable as Claret and Hugh. It's to give everybody Arsenal news. So we've expanded a bit and we've got a few more. So now the LiverpoolNewsService.com is there. So if you're a Liverpool fan, go to Ars- uh, Liverpool News Service. We've also got NewcastleUnitedNewsService.com. It's a new one, uh, newly launched. AstonVillaNewsService.com. And LeicesterCityNewsService.com, by the way, Jim. So that's just launched. So if you want to give that one a a look. So you are on the up because we've we've only picked a certain number of clubs with passionate supporters to run a news service. So LeicesterCityNewsService.com is is one of the newest out there. Uh, Seasoned and experienced journalists that have come from Fleet Street are all running these these sites. And uh, it's an exciting product we're trying to replicate what's been done with Clarent and Hugh over the last 18 months, which is, a, you know, my partner on Clarent Hugh is a, a seasoned journalist, um, used to work on The Sun and a number of papers as a, as a football writer, and, and now uh, he, he's dedicating himself to running a football uh, news service. Uh, and one last plug I want to get in, um, I'm getting more and more involved with uh, tubers or YouTubers, I don't know what the correct term is now, uh, and West Ham is starting to catch up. Um, you know, we've been working with... Um, one outfit called West Ham Fan TV, who who do the interviews after the the game, etc. With uh, Clarence Hugh, but a new one we're just going to launch in in the next 24 hours 
is with one called Hammers Chat. Um, and again, we're, we're taking it a bit further. So we're now going to have a video news reel now to give uh, video news uh, related to West Ham over YouTube. And uh, we're about to launch that with uh, Hammers Chat in the next 24 hours. So really exciting stuff at West Ham. Uh, embracing social media to give fans what they want, to give them the news, especially in the transfer window. That said, West Ham are doing nothing in the transfer window whatsoever. So uh, there won't be much news on the transfer side, except to uh, debunk all the rumours and stories that are bound to come out from the tabloids who are, who are desperate to sell their papers. Uh, but cheers for having me on. Uh, good job at hosting uh, this week, Safu, as well. Um, so, yeah, um, you know... Good. It's it's not easy to stand in for Kevin at the last minute, um, but yeah, really good job, mate. Well, thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, so I'm not nearly as busy as Sean or <laughs> Kevin, uh, but uh, we should be back to our regularly scheduled podcasting. Uh, so that would mean Thursday you would see Kevin's fantasy podcast. Friday you'd see our preview podcast. Or I guess you'd listen to those things because we're a podcast. Uh, and then Monday, uh, we'll have our, uh, uh, our regular one. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, as always, you can reach us at Twitter at EPL Roundtable, or um, you can email us EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Uh, one last thing. One last thing. Yeah, sure. I just forgot that there is a Spurs news service coming very soon. Oh, so we great. So back on. The Spurs News Service, I forget if it's being called Tottenham Hotspur News Service.com or whether it's just called Spurs News Service.com. It is coming soon. We've got a Spurs fan who's a journalist running it, and, and that will be launched very soon into the same stable. So uh, I'm sure when that comes, you'll, you'll be happy for, to plug that one, won't you, Sophie? Yeah, hopefully it'll be Spurs News Service.com because <laughs> that is much easier to write uh, <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's all the time we have for today, guys. Um, how does Kevin usually do this? Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia 
Gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.